0: Good morning. Thank you all for being here again today. As Joy mentioned, we are doing a summer series on the book of Psalms, praying specifically through the Psalms. And today, as you've noticed, you've heard it multiple times and out of your own lips. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. In fact, it would be good for you to have it in front of you if you'd like, because we're going to review it a few times, but also I think there's just some wisdom to having God's word in front of you that maybe as I'm walking you through it, there may be something in there the Lord might speak to you personally. So, Psalm 27, if you have a Bible that's in the seats there, uh, page 437 for Psalm 27. Um, I have spent a fair amount of time, of course, reviewing. The Psalms, we're in a reading plan with Psalms, and Psalm 27 is the the text that we're looking at today. It's it's a wonderful Psalm. It's beautiful, and I say that having had to work for that beauty because I confessed in first service, Psalms are not always my my cup of tea. You know, I I prefer a good story, right? I want to dig into, you know, give me me first, second Chronicles or, you know, maybe a Romans to slice into, but then, you know, my mother-in-law, she loves the Psalms, you know, and so sometimes I feel like I have a disconnect because they seem so romantic and emotional and you know, not that I can't be romantic and emotional, but still. <laughs> Sometimes the psalms the are like, oh, I just, but, but I, so I was spending time in this one, reflecting on it, reflecting on it. And, and then it came to me like, I just, I love the beauty of the story of it. And so uh, it reminded me actually of one of the best summer vacations my wife and I ever took. It was a number of years ago. We happened to, uh, to be able to get the gift to be able to go to Italy. Um, and we stayed in a small kind of mountain community called Cortona, the Curtain. And, and Cortona was, was at the edge of a mountain range, uh, and it was the first and only town kind of visibly set on a hill with like this infortressing wall around it, and it was very, very steep climb. I mean, the, the little rental car had to choke its way, you know, to get up to the top. Um, but you were rewarded with this beautifully quaint, quaint town uh, that had an, an amazing vista, which I just can't put a, pictures up to, to, to show you, you know, enough of it. But you can kind of see there, I mean, the, the distance in which you're able to see is just incredible. And the town is, is so charming. But as I got to, you know, uh, love it, I learned some of the history of it that had actually been sacked and attacked like seven times um, and so, what's really cool is like they could see their enemies coming. I just imagine as I was standing on the you know the edge of the enclave, looking out like, man, when they were sacked by these massive you know armies, you know Romans and the Gauls and all that, like they could probably see them coming for quite a ways out there. You know, the 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 fires in the night, like as the armies were approaching upon them. And so they had a strategy though. They were up on a high hill. They could see the enemy coming. They had their walls around them. And so everyone, quick, get into the walls of the community, right? And they would kind of try to defend themselves from there. But, you know, sometimes it was overwhelming force. And so once the walls got breached, they had to, okay, retreat, retreat to the place of refuge, the refugio. And that was a series of little cathedrals that were at the very top of the hill, Uh, And so that's where they went. The last refuge, the community would gather there in the church. Now, their church, uh, you know, we talked about maintenance issues in ours. They had little firing holes uh, set in different places, you know, to kind of ward off enemies. I don't think we have any firing holes here, but maybe maybe we can put that on the maintenance list. That might work. (laughs) But that was the place of refuge when all hope was like, okay, get to the refuge, get to the refuge. And it was the church. And I just thought, man, there's such a great story in that town and the way that they did that. That was their stronghold, that place where the, where the Lord was, and they would pray, Lord, help us. So that helps me with the Psalms because there is a, there is a story to Psalm 27, and, and I love to read the word as a literary story, and so I, I look for story in it, and, and you know, we're in book one here of the Psalms, which is Psalms 1, 1 through 41, and that detail over and over again until it finally presses into our hard heads, God is with us. <laughs> That's why often you get these familiar themes over and over again, we're like, didn't I read this already? Yeah, because it just takes a while to get through all the stuff, but book one is really God with us. And so very quickly in Psalm 27, the, the writer, uh, David, he, he says, Quick, get into the temple here. So the first three verses are like, you can, you can, I almost feel like I can hear him running into the refuge as he's saying it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail my flesh and my adversaries and foes, they will stumble and they will fall. Even though out there in the valley there's an army encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Although war rides up around me, I will be confident, quickly, everyone, into the gates. Verse 4 is really the linchpin of this psalm. So if if you're going to review it, please do. If you do, verse 4 is like the linchpin. It's like, okay, finally, he's there in the refuge company of the Lord. And he says, oh, there's one thing I've asked the Lord through, one thing that I seek after. It's to live here in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Maybe I am a little emotional romantic. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And then this final passage here in verse 4 is really, again, the high point. You could kind of glance over if you're just reading through it, like, to inquire of the temple, but this is actually the big moment right here. Because what he's saying in this short little passage here, to inquire in his temple. The temple is a major feature in the Psalms. And he's saying, oh, just to sit at the company of my Lord, teach me, Lord, instruct me, give me wisdom, assurance, give me peace, grant me knowledge. I will sit and inquire in the temple of the Lord. Quick, everyone, sit here in the place of refuge. In God's presence, you noticed, all fear is gone. The rest of the psalm is somewhat like a mountain range, which is, you know, just like behind uh, Cortona. There was just a series of beautiful mountains, up and down, valleys and peaks, Uh, because he kind of goes in this little valley for a while. He's like, oh, Lord, please don't ever forget me. Don't ever forget me. Oh, I'm just worried you're going to forget me. And then he concludes with, but my God is so faithful and so trustworthy. And in fact, the last uh, passages here, uh, verses 13 and 14, are so great because he's, you know, he all of a sudden changes voice. He's like, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What a testimony. I believe that, he says. And then suddenly he changes, and now he's becoming encouraging of us, people reading this. He's saying, You wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord wait, wait for the Lord. So this morning, as I look at that story, the story of Psalm 27, I just found myself asking, what does this mean for us to know the Lord as our light and as our salvation? What does it mean for the Lord to be the stronghold of our lives, that place of refuge? Is it the one thing that we seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all of our days, to hide in His shelter, to seek the beauty of His face, to inquire of His wisdom there at the feet of God in His temple? Is this the place that we desire to go when our enemies advance against us? And then I ask us, here in the safety of Hinsdale Covenant Church, where there's no enemy pounding on the door right now that we're aware of. Who are the enemies? Who are the foes? Who are those that seek to corrupt and attack and degrade and shame and manipulate? If we don't know of enemies, then we're not likely to seek shelter. So let me just spend time working on this, but let me pray that the Lord do work in your heart as he's been doing work in my heart this week on this. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word Thank you, Lord, that the author, David, was inspired by your spirit to write these words down with such passion and call. And even those last passages, God, recognizing from from the depths of time that maybe one day we would be sitting here reading this. And Holy Spirit, thank you. Because you've preserved these words with such integrity that the words that we read today are, are literally the words that he penned out. Speak to us fresh today, Lord, as you have been with me. We seek you, Lord. Teach us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, there's a, Psalm, there's a story to Psalm 27, and it's also got characters. And I like to look at it. This is what helps me kind of process through. Who are the characters here? Well, we have the author, and the author is David. Old Testament, many people know King David. He was on the run for quite a bit of the time that he was here. He had a real enemy who was trying to get him. King Saul was literally trying to take his life. And over and over again, the story of his pursuit over David was intense. And so you can read that in in David's thoughts of just the idea that I'm I'm being pursued by a real enemy who would love to take my life. The Lord is my refuge. Then you have the character of the Lord. Interestingly, in that his short of a psalm as this is, 14 verses, he mentions the Lord's name 14 times. Who is the Lord? Well, it's pretty easy to see in this. The Lord is his light, that, that illuminating power that he lives by. He's his salvation. The Lord is the one who pro- provides the safest of safe spaces, he alone is the refuge. But we have another set of characters here, and he regards these as enemies. Also in the psalm, evildoers, foes, adversaries, liars, they bear a false witness. Seven times he talks about these enemies. Who are they? In fact, if you look at this idea of enemies and kind of adversaries and, you know, false witnesses, and you, there are there quite a bit of that mentioned in the psalms in general, these enemies. Over 200 plus times, if you search various terms, Uh, our enemies, or like I said, manipulators, false uh, false witnesses, uh, 200 times mentioned. And so the idea of this is to maybe stoke some sense of healthy fear in us, not of them, but of confidence in the Lord. But if we're not aware of what enemies do or who they are, then why again would we ever seek refuge in the Lord? You know, we don't have the benefit of living spiritually even in a place like Cortona, high center a mountain where we always look out and maybe we can see our enemies marching in from a great distance. I imagine even in Cortona, sometimes they were attacked and they didn't even see it coming. So who are these adversaries? What are things that we have to deal with on a daily basis that challenge our faith as God's people? And, and where do we go with these? So my next section here is intended to scare you a little bit. Because if we don't know if we have real enemies, then again, we're not likely to seek refuge in the Lord. So so what kind of things do we fear? We ask that question many, many times. Whom then shall I fear? Who, Who shall I fear? Now again, the answer to that is no one. But there are real forces out there that seek to corrupt our faith. And we live in a culture that doesn't like the anointing of God's people. Think of it this way. David was anointed with an authority from God. He had a power even to vanquish his enemies and to stand for truth and to lead God's people with with great authority given to him by God. And his enemies hated that about him so much they wanted to kill him. That same authority that was given to David is given in the spirit to you and to me as followers of Christ, a kingdom of priests, a royal nation, And the world hates that anointing in you. The world hates that sense of God's presence in you. It doesn't like it. It doesn't want to hear about it. And it will challenge you. We live in a culture that will tease you with things that seem good. Materialism is one. We've talked about that a couple times. And even in our spring series, the idea of materialism. We live in a culture that, that runs on instinct or feeling. We live in a culture that would love to manipulate you to get your money, to get your time to consume you and make you into a consumer. We live in a world that honestly has thrown away a lot of its fear of God and its gratitude of Him as Creator. When it talks about the Lord is my light, our culture has replaced this idea of light with maybe the light that comes from our technology. You know, any of you have ever traveled? I've had this occasion many times where I sit in an airport and I'll look out. And I'm guilty of it too, by the way. Everyone, young and old, faces pressed on shiny little devices, lights glowing in our faces. We can't interact with anyone anymore. Technology, in a sense, has become our light, our place of refuge, the place we go when we're stressed or bored, and we're bored a lot. Claiming to be wise, it says in Romans, they instead became foolish when they traded the glory of God for something else. There are enemies, of course, in our culture, again, that seek to corrupt our faith, break unity of the church, have brother versus brother, sister versus sister, church versus church, And we continue to see a fracturing of God's people, whereas Jesus cried out in prayer, Lord, keep them as one, let them be one as we are one. And we know in the last days, many, many will be led astray. So we're attacked from around. We're also attacked from above. It's very clear in Scripture that there continues to be a spiritual battle that's waged over us. We hear about that in Ephesians. David was well aware of that. There was such violence around him and such anger kindled. It's like, wait, where did that anger come from but some other greater authority? In fact, in the, the author of Ephesians tells us that we don't wrestle just against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual war happening above us with forces at work that are greater than you. No matter how smart you are, how much you have, they're smarter than you and more powerful than you. He calls them rulers and authorities. And they're above us, and they're waging this spiritual battle over us. And it's so intense that the Word calls us to put on not just a partial piece of armor, but the whole armor of God so that we can withstand in the day of the enemy. So there is a spiritual battle that's happening there in the heavens over us with figures that have much more sense, wisdom, and a desire to manipulate than we can ever withstand and that's going on right now over and above us. There's a battle happening above. Then there's the enemy within. And I know in my theology that my sinful nature has been put to death. It's dead. But why does it keep stumbling out of the closet all the time? Why does that sense of anxiety and anger and fear and worry? spring up all the time. As much as we try to keep it down, there's always a constant attack from within. Paul writes about it. He says, why is it that I keep doing what I don't want to do? There's an enemy within that we fight and we have to resist, a sinful nature. Today, we're more comfortable than ever before, any previous generation, but we're more worried and anxious about it. What about the enemy in our own bodies? That body that continues to corrupt and age and ache and fall and grows weary, more weary every day. There's an enemy within. When we look at these things, we think, man, I I need a place of refuge. And these enemies around us, the enemies above us, the enemy within... We have to know about them enough so that it draws us not to be in fear, not to live in fear. Whom shall I fear? But instead to dwell there, to seek his face, to let the Lord be the light of our lives and our salvation and the stronghold of our lives. These enemies should draw our hearts to seek his face, to dwell there in his house all of my days. Because I don't want any more of this. Anyone else with me today? What are the things that you're... Worried about this morning? Is it where our culture is going? Is it politics? Is it the world stage? Is it uh, uh, you know? Is it uh, the the um, is it the weather? Is it the the changing climate? Are you concerned about uh, our culture? Are you concerned about the church today? Is there a spiritual battle that you're waging? Is there a health concern that continues to beat on you? Is there an enemy within that will not silence? Where do you seek refuge, friends? Is it in the Lord's temple? Are you seeking His face? What is it for God's people to find their refuge as God, with God as their salvation? One thing that's fascinating about texts like this, like Psalms, any of the Old Testament giants, is that, you know we know that they had great faith, and I want faith like David's. But we also know that David's faith was not full because he didn't know the promise that Jesus, who Jesus was. And that's why it says in Hebrews 11 that, man, we have such a great hall of faith in the Old Testament, but what we have today in Christ is so much richer because theirs was incomplete. They never got to see it. But we do. We get to see it in Christ. So what is it to dwell in the house of the Lord all of our days? Well, we turn to the end of the book, the end of the story in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. It begins with trust. When we look to find our refuge with God as our salvation, we begin to trust in God's promises. See here, Revelation 21, verse 10 says, "...in the Spirit John was carried away, and he saw a great high mountain, and there he showed him a holy city of Jerusalem that was coming down from heaven." And had the glory of God and it was radiant and it was brilliant and it was perfect and it was renewed. That's the hope that is before all of us. And we trust that no matter how many times the gates of our lives are breached and the enemy sacks our town, that God can be trusted. We have an eternal perspective that every day matters. And I love what he says, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. That's an eternal perspective. We trust the Lord. We seek Christ to be the cornerstone of the temple within and the temple to come. When we're confused and our enemies try to manipulate and corrupt and corrode, we seek the Lord and we seek his wisdom. As the psalmist said, I want to sit at the feet and hear his wisdom We trust not in our technology. Can you click that next slide for me, please? As the Revelation writes, he took me to the high mountain. Oh, next slide, please, sorry. Here the city has no need of sun or moon. The glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. And all the nations, it says, walk by that light. We seek God for his wisdom. We seek God for his wisdom. This is one of the reasons that we have for a summer series, this idea of reading through the Psalms, praying through the Psalms, and we have given out a reading list that's given you a couple of Psalms to read a day. We begin an exciting new journey tomorrow as we start book two of the Psalms, which begins in Psalm 42. Whereas the first book is about God before us, this one, or God with us, the second book is about God walking before us. And we're to meditate on his word and soak in his word and receive it, and dwell in it, and Lord, give us your wisdom, give us your peace. We meditate daily on the Word of God. Last thing is, when we seek the refuge of the Lord as our salvation, is we worship and praise. In Revelation 22, it says the throne of God and the Lamb are in it, and servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be there pressed upon their foreheads. To dwell in the house of the Lord all of our days is to daily put on the sense of worship and awe and reverence that God is King and Jesus is our Lord and we can trust Him and we praise His holy name. This is not just something we do on a Sunday morning. This is a constant thing we need in our hearts because our enemies' attacks will always be constant. So as we consider praying through this psalm, I'm going to ask Sarah to come back up and lead us one more time. But let's spend a time in prayer, praying through the psalm that we would begin to seek the Lord at a time of such chaos. When our enemies advance, we run quickly into the temple of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, you are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Lord, you are the stronghold of our lives. Of who should we be afraid? Lord, when those who do evil assail, desire to devour our flesh, when our adversaries and our foes, we know they will stumble and fall, even though, Lord, out there, armies encamp against us, our hearts shall not fear. Even though war may rise up against us, we will be confident. Lord, let there be one thing that we seek, One thing that we ask of you to live in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. To behold the beauty of the Lord, the face of the Lord, who you've shown us in your Son Jesus, who says, Come to me, all who are weary, anxious, fearful, and I will give you rest. You are our Savior, be our Lord. Let us inquire of your wisdom and your temple, for you will hide us in your shelter for the days of trouble, and you will conceal us under the cover of your tent, and you will set us, Lord, there high on the cleft of the rock. We trust you, Lord. May we seek you, and we praise you, and worship you. In Jesus' name.